come together and gather as his people, sing his praises, learn from his word. And let me just tell you why this, this is fun for me. Because God gives me the opportunity to come and worship with all of you. You are the ones who make it fun. Thank you. Praise God for you being here today. Love that you are here. All of you who are joining us online, good morning to you as well. I love the fact that we have technology to reach you no matter where you're at. Our gospel message of Jesus Christ has an opportunity to go worldwide. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. If you're new with us, welcome. I know I say this every week. But welcome. Welcome to Vertical Church. I, we desire, we pray for, and we expect new people to come and join us. Why? Because God is doing something in his church, and we want, I know he's calling people himself. So if you are here this morning, it's your first time with us, welcome to Vertical Church, man. We love the fact that you're here. We've been praying for you, and we hope that not only will you just enjoy your time with this morning, man, we pray that you engage with the love of Jesus in a real personal way for yourself this morning before you walk out those doors. All right? So this morning, gang, open your Bibles. We're going to jump into this. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, we're just going to be starting at verse 1 in a few minutes. 1 Samuel 18, hoping to have your Bibles with you or a Bible app with you. Open up so you can highlight, you can mark in it, write some things down this morning as we walk through this series. Uh, but today we're stepping into a new series titled Isolation. Titled Isolation. Now, I've been digging into this series for the past couple of months, and this past week I've been reading and studying in that word itself, isolation, and we're trying to grasp the, the impact this one word, how it plays itself out on the all of humanity. And isolation is this idea. It's the act of being set apart from others. To be, to be isolated is to remove oneself from the populace, to, to remove someone yourself physically, to remove yourself socially, to remove yourself mentally from others, even emotionally from others, and be alone. That's what to be isolated means. And the stats behind this, these topics of isolation and loneliness, as I dug, dug in and read a ton about it, they're absolutely alarming to me. His studies show that 36% of all Americans find themselves seriously lonely in life. 36%. And then it goes even further than that. It's okay, that includes 51% of young adults say they are in seriously lonely in life. And it goes on and it says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 51% of mothers with young children feel seriously alone too. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's a lot of people. And, I, and there's even more. It's a study done by Barna, who does all these studies. I'm glad they do that I don't have to. Uh, but they did a study on those who experience at least loneliness one day a week. They say 6% of those people find loneliness and isolation absolutely un unbearable in their lives. That is crazy. 6%. It goes even further, and it says... Um, that 44%, uh, no, it's 36% have intense loneliness. 44% say it's, they have loneliness that's moderate in their lives. You may start adding that together. I can't do real quick math. Someone could in this room. But that's a lot of people in our own country who feel alone, who are isolated, who don't have community. And a lot of articles that I read feel as if the pandemic was the problem. If I'm just being honest with you, church, I think the pandemic just exposed the problem. 
that Americans have, that we already live with, it just revealed itself, magnified itself in one of the hardest moments of our world and our country. See, the world has bought into a lie. A lie that has been devastating and destroying the lives of individuals and families for centuries, for thousands of years. It's a lie, friends, that is so good. It's a lie that is so believable, so rich in content, that if the truth was right in front of the world, it wouldn't grasp it. Because it believes the lie is the life that they're called to live. And it's a lie that Satan has been having a field day with God's creation for so, so long. And as I was, dig, I was digging into this, there's a problem with this. As we, it's so deep, so rooted in our culture, so rooted in our country, man. It's hard to expose. It's hard to expose the lie because the lie, Satan is so crafty. And he's so crafty. Scripture says he masquerades as an angel of light. He's really good. He is so crafty. It is so hard to expose because the lie comes at us from multiple angles, multiple ways. But every single time, it leads us to the same result. That we're isolated. We're alone. On one side of this lie... We believe that life is better alone. We believe that not having people in our life is easier. That somewhere, some way along our lives, the pathway of our lives, maybe even some of you in this room have come to this conclusion that having other people in your life just complicates stuff. You don't need people. You don't need community. You are self-sufficient. Maybe you think that living in isolation is better for you because you really don't like people. The other side of this is, is just as clear. Maybe, maybe you think that you're connected. Maybe you're in this room like, Rich, I'm connected. Maybe you think and you're connected, but in all reality, you're not connected. You're not living community. You've been living your life, making decisions based on what society says, what culture creates, and the busyness that you gain into your life, and you think that that's what a connected life is all about. You go through work. You deal with students at school or friends at school. You even come to church and you think you have all these connections and life is good. You have these social media platforms. We're going to get into this a little bit later. But you have thousands of Facebook friends. You have 10,000s and thousands of Instagram followers. You have 100,000 TikTok groupies. And you think, man, I'm connected. Friends, Satan is a liar. Lying is his native tongue, according to Scripture. That's what he speaks. And if we are not careful, he might have us 
right where he wants us, alone, missing out of the amazing life that we are created to live. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to be completely honest with yourself, maybe even brutally honest with yourself this morning. Do you long for friendships? Do you desire to have deeper friendships with people? Do you desire someone or someones to talk to? When there's frustrations in your life, there's problems in your life, or maybe even when you have times of celebration, do you wish you had someone you could immediately text or call or engage with to go see, hang out with? Are you lonely? Are you depressed? Let's push, this, let's push this in our spiritual journey with Jesus, okay? Let's just kind of just get into that. He says, have you given up reading the Bible? Have you stopped reading the Bible because you don't get it? That you had good intentions, you were kind of even excited to start reading Scripture. Rich says, every Sunday, open your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. But you started, you're like, I don't get it, I don't understand it. So a couple weeks, you're into it, you stopped, because you have no one to talk to, no one to ask, no one to dig into it with and come to the, the solutions that God has for you in life. Have you made, have you ever made a decision not to come here on a Sunday morning because you think that no one's going to miss you? No one, if I don't show up, it's no big deal. I'll go next week. No one's going to miss me. It's not important to come hang out with God's people. Have you done these two simple things enough where you walk through your everyday life feeling spiritually empty? If you answered yes, and I could spend another hour walking through the questions if you answered yes to any of those questions, let me just tell you, somebody is whispering in your ear and that someone isn't any good. The next two weeks, we're going to be digging in and having conversations and digging into this problem that we have of isolation, man. We're going to be exposing how it goes, goes against the very fabric how we were all created. See, God never intended for us to do life alone. God loves and lives in community with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely amazing. And he desires for his creation, his special creation, humanity, and his church to do the same. To live in community with one another. And unfortunately, that lie and that hurt that's been smacking around humanity for generations is bleeding into the church. We are finding and grabbing hold of more and more reasons not to gather together. More and more reasons not to come and worship 
together. More and more reasons not to pray together. More and more reasons not to do life together. And if you ask me, it's time for us to stop giving Satan the upper hand and take hold of a life that is truly life that's found in Jesus Christ and live how he's called us to live. So the next couple weeks, we're going to dig in and hit this, at this, the lie at the core, and we're going to learn why building bridges, relational bridges in life, is key to living a life that is truly life. Because here's the reality. The best version of you is on the other side of meaningful relationships. The best version of you is on the other side of meaningful relationships. Think about this. The best version of you is on the other side of a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. So why wouldn't that be the same for the body? That God has created you to have meaningful relationships with other people. So next two weeks, we're going to be looking at a couple of guys. One is going to be a theme this week and next week. But today, we're going to start digging into a great relationship with two guys that illustrates this truth that we were created for community. These guys, their names was David and Jonathan. David, who was to become the next king over Israel, was chosen by God, anointed by Samuel to replace the current king, which was Saul. Jonathan, on the other hand, was the eldest son of King Saul, And he, by all rights, was to be the next king of Israel. And he had every reason to reject David, to usurp God's authority, to go for the throne himself. But he realized that God had a different plan. And what he did with these two guys was absolutely amazing. And what takes place with these two guys is an illustration of their true friendship and the community and the bonding that they have. And if we step into 1 Samuel, you got your Bibles open to chapter 18. David had just killed Goliath. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that story. Right, this little boy, and he went out and killed this giant, and, and he killed him by chopping off his head, and he came out, oh, he actually killed him with a stone in the head, then chopped off his head, brought the head to the king. Right, This is where we're at. It's just after that took place. And he's having a conversation with Saul. And in the midst of this conversation, Jonathan, Saul's son, is present, and you have to see what takes place. Look at this at verse 1. After David, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Let's just stop right there. John, Jonathan became one with spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now, as I read that verse, most of the guys in this room just shifted in their seats. You cross your arms, you're like, ah, that's just weird. (laughs) I don't need that kind of relationship in my life. It's not for me. Men, before you tune me out, hear me out. I know as men, culture has trained us over the generations, this idea of having men, other men in our lives that we care about, dare I say, love is completely considered unmanly. It's seen as for men as a sign of weakness. Man, it's right up there as crying. We don't do that, do we? 
I want to tell you that can be further from the truth. Jesus Christ is one of the manliest men that we'll ever see or know and experience in life. And as I read the scripture, Jesus cried. And it said, it said if you read, that Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, he wept. And wept is not like, oh, you my football team lost. Weeping is uncontrollable, just out like, I, ah, falling apart before God. Jesus did that. And Jesus had a bunch of people in his life, a bunch of men that he absolutely loved. And he did life with them. These two guys, when they came together, David and Jonathan, they were moving the same direction in life. They want to honor God with their lives. And when God brought them together, this instant connection to move forward in life together was happening. They were stronger together. And you'll see as we continue to read through the text, life was better together because they created this bond of community together. And that's exactly what we're called to do. Us, as the body of Christ, going in the same direction, coming alongside one of another, creating this bond of community. So this morning, I want to give you three truths. Three truths about community that you can gauge if you have it or not. Three truths about community, if you don't have it, you don't recognize it. If you bought into the lie, has Satan been whispering in your ear, you'll understand that this morning. The first truth is this. Community costs. Community costs. Look at verse 2. It says, from that day... Saul kept David, kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant. Let me just stop right there. Jonathan made a covenant. That's a bond. That's a connection in the Old Testament that was taken absolutely serious. It's not a contract that you rip up. Well, this is not good, so I'm done. No, a covenant is serious before God. He said he made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Isolation is easy. And I think everyone in this room could agree with that, that it's easy, because all we have to do is deal with me Myself and I. When we bring people in our lives, it will cost us something. Look what Jonathan did without even being asked. He recognized who David was, and in his friendship, he presented him with a royal robe, his tunic, his sword for battle, all rightfully his. He was willing to give it up to bless his brother. Community will cost. I mean, just ask you: Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been on the, the receiving side of something like this? If you're in this room, have you experienced the on this receiving side? This is kind of humbling. It's humbling to walk through and have people just walk up and, and give things to you. I mean, you, you want to be self-sufficient. 
But God puts people in your lives that knows that you have a need and they step and provide and just bless you. Expecting nothing back. That's the community that God wants to create. I mentioned last week that I believe the rapid change of technology over the last few generations has radically impacted true community in our country. I mean, our world is creating these quote-unquote social communities that make people think they're, they're absolutely connected, but in reality, social media platforms keep us isolated. They keep us away from others. Why? Because there's no real connection. There's no real connection. I mean, we all have, and we have those social media platforms. We see what our friends are doing. We see what our friends are eating. <laughs> we see where they're going. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing social media to the point. I mean, I, I love social media to a point, but it's to a fun. Last week, I put a picture up with me with this 15-foot-tall wolf. And I'm like, look at my new friend. I use social media for two reasons. One, I want people to know how much I love life. Two, I want people to know who is in my life, the reason why I love life, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what we have. We have these things. But we're, we're not, these people are not true friends. We, the extent is only digital media. The digital illusion of lives. Like, come on, Rich. I mean, I worked really hard to have all these followers. I worked really hard to connect with all these people and have some friends. If these friendships that you have don't cost us a thing, if that's the only connection you have, man, you don't have connection. Because all we have to do is step up and hit a like button, or a heart button, or a laugh button, or a wow button. And we just keep on scrolling. If that's the depth of your friendships, you're missing out. God has so much more for you. You know, I wrote this down. I'm not sure if it ties in, but we ignorantly believe that isolation costs us nothing. But in all reality, isolation costs us everything but leaves us with nothing. Living in community does cost us, but it costs us differently. But what we gain when we choose to go against the grain of what the world and society is saying, we gain everything that God has for us. True biblical friendship costs us. They cost us time. They cost resources. Sometimes it costs us what we want to do. They cost us our desires. But here's the coolest part. When we're living in this community, we don't see them as a cost. When these things that we expend, like, okay, this is what we're called to do, it fulfills us. It's 
I want to show you that I'm not making this up. Let's look back at the, the birth of the church. Let's look back at the birth of the church. And look at this in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. It says, all the believers, this is the church, were together and they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give everyone who had a need. The early church never saw living together in community as a burden. They saw it as a blessing. They saw it as a calling by God. And that's no different from us. 2,000 years later, God still has called us to live in community, and we understand that will cost us. So do your friendship cost you? The second truth is this. Community addresses the mess. Living in community addresses the mess. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, jump over to chapter 19, look at verse 1. Because as we walk through this and understanding, all that David is doing, God is blessing. And all that God is blessing, Saul is getting a little jealous. He's getting resentful. He's getting paranoid. God was blessing David with such success that people were actually chanting in the street, Saul has slain thousands. But David has slain tens of thousands. So you can see the difference. So Saul got in this, this thing of popularity that was going on for David, and he said, listen, listen, I'm going to have him killed. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Jonathan went and told David. He warned him. And then he went back to speak to his father. Look at verse 4 on the screen. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory over for Israel. And you saw and were glad why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Let's stop there. Community addresses the mess. Because the truth is, we all have baggage in our lives. We all have messes in our lives. There's some things in our lives that we're willing to admit and work through. There's other things in our lives that we keep in the closet. We never want to talk about it and work through it and find freedom from it. As we just read these verses for Jonathan, the mess that he was living in, dealing with in community with David, was the mess of dealing with his father. His father who was on a war path to kill his friend. And maybe that's a great illustration for some of you this morning. Because some of our biggest messes in our lives have to do with our families. How do we work with and deal through that? Jonathan, David's dear friend, was doing life with him. And he was willing to step up to the king, his unruly father, and challenge him. Community help us stresses the mess. He was willing to stand side by side with his friend, face the mess together. 
And so as I look across the room and we have this conversation with our church, man, it helps us address the mess in our own lives. It forces us, when living in community, it forces us to be real with people. Living in community forces us to be honest with others. It pushes us to get better, right? Our, our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we deal with a mess in our life, become more like Jesus, man, we're becoming better. We stop faking it and start living the abundant life that God has for each and every one of us. Living community radically changes that. Let me just ask. Do you have someone or someone's in your life that helps you face the mess? That forces you to be better? That pulls you out? Who calls you out as a brother and sister in Christ? And I see this, I see this, I love you, you know I love you, we're hanging all the time, man, I just see this in your life, you're making a bad decision here, let me call you on the carpet for this, and they're doing that for you. Do you have that person in your life? And let me just add, do you listen to that person? If you do think you have it, do you listen to that person? Are you that person for someone else? Just as you need it in your life, people need you in their lives. Because the body, living in community, dresses the mess. True community gets it. True community lives it. And true community loves it. The third truth is this. Community changes us. Community changes us. If you were to continue to read, yes, read your Bible, church, right? Start at chapter 18 and go all the way to chapter 31. You would see the end result of Saul's life. He didn't have community. He didn't have people really speaking to those actually listening to. In fact, he chased David to the end of his life. He never changed. Community changes us for the very reasons I just shared earlier. Another one of our core values is growing people change. The longer we're with Jesus, the longer we're walking with Jesus in this church, the longer we're building community and doing life together means we're shedding some stuff. We're shedding the world and we're, we're glowing brighter and more like Jesus Christ. We need to change. You know, at Vertical, we believe this life change best happens, and here it is, in small groups. In small groups. We believe authentic relationships take place. We believe authentic growth takes place. And change happens because so much authentic, more authentic and real and opening and convicting in circle than rows.
we can show up here on a Sunday and put a pretty smile on our face, act like all is good. We can try real, try hard, do good, and fail. We try again, do a little bit, try a little bit harder and fail. Dig a little bit deeper and deeper, deeper, and then eventually we're going to realize then we're living our lives alone, so I'm just going to fake it. I'm going to show up here on a Sunday morning with a pretty smile on our faces, our kids in their cute dresses and looking all dapper, and we're going to think everything's just great. They're not going to see the argument that just happened on the car on the way here. Pull together, we're at church. We believe it belongs and moves forward faster in small groups. Jesus ministered to the multitudes, had tons of disciples, chose 12, walked intimately with, intimately with three. Don't get me wrong, meeting here every Sunday is absolutely important for us as a church. Studies show that 1.6 to 1.8 times a month is when someone says they follow Jesus, they show up at church. We could change that. Maybe it start being here a little bit more often. But discipleship, people growing spiritually, drawing closer to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus happens best when we're doing life together outside of Sunday mornings, outside these walls and our small groups. And listen, if you have a better plan, I would love to hear it. If you have a better plan, I would love to hear it. I'd love to know how we can reach more people directly and indirectly and have a greater impact of people becoming more like Jesus Christ in this church and our community. For me, friends, I'm at my best when I'm with you. I'm at my best when I'm with you every Sunday morning, no matter what is taking place in my life, in my heart, in my mind. I walk in here on Sunday mornings, I get to worship with all of you, and everything changes. But that's absolutely the same for me in small group. Actually, deeper. I'm at my best when I'm at my small group. They lift me up. They challenge me spiritually. They encourage me regularly. In fact, in our small group, I have Stephanie on one side of me and Miss Francis on the other. And at one point or another, I get hit by one, hit by the other. They say something. I'm like, okay, I pull back in line. Even when I, those nights where I don't want to go to small group. If you're in my small group, I'm sorry if I'm saying this out loud. There are nights where I don't want to go. I want to stay home. I'm tired. I want to be in my isolation. My wife walks up to me, kicks me right in the back end and say, let's go. And those are the nights where something amazing happens. Those are the nights where someone opens up and shares. Those are the nights where someone takes their next step with Jesus. I believe the best version of me is on the other side of meaningful relationships. And I find those in my small group. 
There is no such thing as a growing and thriving Christian living in isolation. It's an oxymoron. As Christians, followers of Jesus, we're part of a church, and that church is a group, and we do life together. So when you walk out those doors this morning, you're going to see this little half circle, and you're going to walk out there and wondering what we're going to do now, like what's, what's, your, what's our next step, Rich? This is your next step. Go sign up for a small group. All of our small group leaders who can be here today are going to be out there, and their groups are open, and they want you to be a part of them. They want you to come and be a part of doing life with them. And listen, listen, if you get out there and you go through all of our groups, like, I don't see one, I don't know if there's one fits our schedule, or whatever, there's a little table that I'll be standing that says, start a new group here. Imagine that. No excuses. We are a church of small groups, meaning that it, it's embedded in everything that we do. It's not with small groups where it's an add-on. We believe it's that core in our relationship with Jesus and making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? All right, I'm gonna pray, and you're gonna go find yourself a group. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace in our lives. Lord, I thank you for just a, a simple illustration of Jonathan and David. That we are called to do life with one another. We, we can't do life alone. That's not how you created us. Right down the very core of our DNA, man, we just need people to move forward in life, to challenge us. And I know that stepping into a small group takes a certain sense of vulnerability, you know, uh, like exposing some things and walking through some things and, and maybe fighting even back some fear. So God, I pray for that this morning. That those are going to be like, hey, I don't want to be in a small group. I don't have time for a small group. I really don't like people. And you know, Lord, I just pray right then, you do not let them walk out those doors. That you show them right now that they have, they have a need within them for community. And I'm going to ask the, the prayer team to come forward. And as we close this out this morning, I'm going to just ask if you need prayer this morning, they are right here for you. They want to walk through what you're facing together and help you find victory through the promises and the strength of Jesus Christ. God, we love you, we worship you. In your son's name I pray, amen. God bless, church. Have an amazing week. When you go out these doors, don't turn this way, turn this way, and go get in a small group. <laughs>